This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome back to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host. And this week we have another great conversation uh, for you on the podcast. Um, his third appearance on the podcast, Scott McClellan, is back with us again. And this time focusing on uh, leadership and faith in the workplace. Just a lot of great insights uh, on this podcast from Scott. Um, if you haven't heard uh, any of the previous episodes that he's been on, I encourage you to go back and uh, check those out. I believe it's episode 83 and episode 283, uh, our previous conversations uh, with Scott McClellan. Scott has over 25 years of leading multi-billion dollar businesses with thousands of employees in the healthcare space. And one of the interesting things that this conversation will uh, dive into is what it was like leading an organization in the healthcare space uh, during the height of the COVID pandemic. Um, just some really great insights from Scott on not just that particular time uh, with his company, but also what it is like and some uh, insights on leading during crisis. Many other great insights in this conversation. As always, we'll leave links to Scott's information, ways to get in touch with him uh, in the show notes. Um, you can also visit awarenessofgod.org to find out more um, about Scott and some of his writings. And I hope you'll take away from this podcast some actionable insights for your leadership and for your life. And with that, I'll turn it over to Richard. Well, as you know, those of you who listen to this podcast regularly, uh, my favorite thing to do is to have guests on the show because they know a lot more than I do. And today we have a comeback uh, repeat performance by one of my good friends and uh, people I admire in Scott McClellan. He was with us uh, a while ago, but uh, has had a lot uh, happened in his life since. And so, and I know Scott's a regular listener of our podcast as well, and uh, has just had so many different experiences. I'm really excited about our conversation today. And so, Scott, welcome. Well, great. Thank you. It's great to be back. Now, uh, I know I know everyone that heard you the last time remembers everything you said, exactly. uh, all the details, uh, has probably committed portions to memory. But <laughs> just in case there's some new listeners, <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You are a leader. Uh, you've led in many different capacities uh, in the marketplace, certainly in the medical professional area. But tell us your, your leadership history, your career. What, what have you done? So I've uh, been in the marketplace about 41 years. I have been in healthcare for most of that time. Um, started as an operations trainee. I got a chance to learn distribution and transportation, uh, supply chain, and uh, actually was the tech guy. Hmm. Um, but before that sounds too impressive, um, <laughs> the one fax machine in the entire building was in my office, and it took about 10 minutes to warm up, and it came off on carbon paper. I remember paper, those. So. I remember those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and over time, that would kind of fade afterwards. So exactly. Yeah. Usually on your hands. <laughs> um, but after that, I had a chance to get into account management, some sales leadership, and uh, about 15 years in, I got my first president's assignment. Hmm. And that was exciting. And uh, ever since, I've had the chance to um, build companies, run companies, turn companies around. Um, and it's just been a, a wonderful career. Now, you, you started some from yes. uh, the beginning. How, and tell us about that. What, how did that go? 
Yeah, so um, uh, the first company I started uh, literally out of the house, uh, employee number one, um, no customer, no idea, no money. Um, <laughs> today that organization is about $33 billion and it's worldwide. Um, and that was just a, a thrill. The The first three years were not quite so easy. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. After uh, selling it to another organization, it's had the chance to grow and develop from there. But um, that was a, a business that had a technology component, ended up uh, being a very large supply chain organization. Um, and another I had chance to start within a parent company, mm. um, and we built that from nothing to um, about a billion dollars over the course of 10 years. Wow. And so, and, and so what do you do currently? I'm the CEO of that company. Of that company. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you sold it, so you don't have the stress of ownership or the profits of ownership. <laughs> or the profits. <laughs> but, but still running it. Just uh, a working stiff, but loving it. Yeah. Uh, and like, Scott, did you, I mean, was that always your aspiration uh, to, to lead? Uh, when you started out, what were, you, what were your goals? Yeah, like most uh, kids, I probably didn't have many goals. Um, mm. I just knew that I wanted to get out there and support myself and um, just was able to find a job right out of school. Um, but um, just had the chance early on to get into some leadership capacities that uh, I found fun and thrilling and exciting and um, just realized that was probably the direction I was going to head. But I wanted to spend the first five years on the ground. I didn't mm. want to get into a position until I knew what it was to follow and huh. get the job done. And so, uh, in fact, it was five years and one day uh, really? that I stepped really? into my first leadership role. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I mean, a lot of people probably think that's admirable, but, but leading pays better than following. But So to have the discipline to stay in that role position uh, would take some self-control, I would think. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were you always a leader? Like, w w as a kid, were you the one organizing all the kids on the block? Or is that something you kind of grew into? Like, how do you, do you feel like some people just are wired to lead and they just naturally do that? Or is that something you kind of learned over the years? Yeah, so probably if there's an opposite of leader, that's what I was as a kid. Mm -hmm. I am an introvert off the charts. Really? Um, and as a kid, just painfully shy. Um, so I was always off in a corner somewhere, probably not even participating, let alone organizing. Hmm. Um, but the thing that probably put me there is I had some success in sports early on. Hmm. Um, and um, it got to the point where when I showed up, people knew I was there, which I found terrifying huh. because I didn't want to be noticed. But you were a swimmer, right? I, I was. And, yeah. and so that's not necessarily like basketball or soccer where you're like you're passing and assisting teammates. Like that's still kind of an individual sport, isn't it? Yeah, for the most part, unless you're on a relay. But yeah, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, um, you're on your own just staring at black line for wow. quite some time. Yeah. Wow. But uh, well, that, you know, that's interesting to me because I'm, I'm, I've always been curious about people that grow as leaders. And, you know, I think as an introverted, shy swimmer, keeping in your lane to leading a billion dollar plus company now is uh, that's, that you've, you've had to have grown from uh, over the years. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Now, you, there's a lot of people uh, who listen to this that are uh, business leaders in the marketplace and um, and some, and, and typically they're Christians listening to this, but uh, they don't all work for Christian companies. And you, you don't do that. Your companies uh, are are very secular. Uh, and, and and so, give us an insight on how you've had success. Um, I mean, it, it helps, I guess, if you start the company. Uh, but 
But but how do you lead where you you're, you lead a lot of people that don't have a worldview like you do, right. don't have the same values? How can you be successful, especially in a very secular world in which we operate in today? Yeah. So. Faith in the workplace is a subject I've thought deeply about, contemplated. I've written two books on faith in the workplace, uh, not quite like you, but spoken all around the world on yeah. faith, faith yeah. in the workplace. So it's a topic I believe in very much. I disciple people, I mentor people on this very topic. Um, but uh, I will tell you, I could probably summarize two books in two words now, um, hmm. and that is become indispensable. Hmm. Um, if you become a consistent performer over time and you become indispensable to an organization, uh, it's a little bit easier to be yourself um, mm. and to be bold. And so what, what I've found is when I get into that position, I can be boldly who I am, which includes being a deep person of faith. Uh, I can even share my faith and uh, do so, again, boldly and without hesitation. And I think most people... Um, want to understand your success. And when they want to understand your success, they want to understand all of you, hmm. uh, which includes being a person of faith. And so it's allowed me both as a follower and as a leader uh, to be very outward in who I am um, hmm. and what I believe. And what I've found over time um, is that that attracts people into the organization. And I'm talking all religions now. Mm -hmm. if, if people mm -hmm. see a man or woman of faith and whatever faith they're in, they're attracted to that and they want to come into that. And uh, we've actually found ourselves in a position where the organization, the people on the front lines, want to express that in themselves. Hmm. Um, and as a result, it's more of an opt-in environment because people want to be there and they want to be who they are as well. Hmm. And of course, I, I think that's certainly great advice too. You know, I know some Christians, I, I commend them, they want to be salt and light in their company, but they they lead with that before they've gotten results. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you maybe need to kind of have that as your goal, but but get some results. That's um, right. Become that indispensable person. And then, then you have the platform and the credibility. Uh, I, I've known some people that were day one were witnessing to everything that moved and right. yet they weren't that great of an employee. Yeah. And, you know, I was that person too. I thought that being a person of faith meant that I had to, um, you know, convert in the workplace, so to speak. And mm -hmm. that just became awkward. Um, but when, again, I was just who I was, it attracted people in. Um, and then they were very curious um, if they were a new believer and very much wanting to talk if they were a, a more mature believer. And it just creates an environment where it's just natural. It's not forced. Um, it just it just flows. And mm. uh, again, I think if you um, if you are successful and you are open about who you are, uh, you're gonna you're gonna invite those conversations. And now, have you ever felt pressure to compromise a value somewhere along the line? I imagine healthcare or some of the politically correct things that are pushed onto companies today that uh, there might be a conflict at times between your Christian values and what your HR person said you ought to be doing. Yeah, I think I think that's true at work and it's true outside of work. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, th I think it's just once you become comfortable um, just between you and God, um, then you become more comfortable in those environments where you're challenged that way. And at first, as you're practicing in that, it feels difficult. Um, I think later, as you become a more mature believer, 
it's still a challenge, but mm -hmm. uh, it's not as difficult to navigate through that. Hmm. Do you ever just find people offended at you, not because you've actually said or done anything, but just because they know you're a Christian? I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had people like that and I hadn't done anything offensive, but they just assumed that they knew what Christians acted like and thought about them. And uh, they never even gave me the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And That's uh, right. that can be hard. Uh, you just want to at least say, well, I mean, wait till I've actually done something offensive before you you get offended at me, but, That's right. uh, but sometimes we just represent things or they, they've been around other Christians that, uh, and they're, they're carrying baggage now. But so, I mean, it, it is a, it, it, you really need the spirit to guide you yes. to know how to navigate that. But, and, and so, I mean, as far as that goes, like you've led big company, you lead a big company. Um, but how does the spirit of God, I mean, does the spirit of God care that you lead a company? Does he care about, whether you have a, a united team at, at work or uh, or you've got your profits are up, I mean, how how what what kind of practical difference would the Holy Spirit make for a guy leading a billion dollar secular company? Should I answer that as Aristotle or Plato? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can go cover all the base, all the Greek bases there. <laughs> I think he cares very much um, in the details. Um, I, I think the Spirit of God speaks to you um, in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes he speaks in circumstances. Um, sometimes uh, circumstances align in such a way that it is either kind of a harmonious path forward or a thorny path forward. And um, I think if you're not attuned to the things of God, you don't see that. Yeah. You don't see where things are being thorned off or where doors are opening. But I think if you are attuned to that, you see what has always been there. Um, which is always a path forward. Um, mm. And sometimes that path forward is into discipline, and sometimes that path forward is into learning what it is to lead through difficulty. Um, and sometimes it's just a great opportunity that if you're listening and looking and um, hearing, then you, you kind of move forward faster than you might have otherwise. It's mm. an accelerator in a lot of different ways. But yes, in the details. Uh, and I know, I mean, speak of details, and I know some of your your journey, uh, for you, uh, relationships with uh, big spending customers uh, that expect things to be done, you know, the, their way at minimal expense to them. And, yeah. uh, and at times you can deal with some pretty hard to please kinds of customers, clients. Uh, and I, I, do you ever just have to lean into the spirit to say, I'm not sure even... I understand what this person's problem is or <laughs> how to appease them. Um, but, I, you know, people in sales, people who are pastors trying to just lead a flock of very diverse people, the Spirit of God is really good with people. Um, have you ever just found that you just had to follow his lead and how to relate to someone or even someone on your staff? Yeah, so um, when I'm going into a particular difficult conversation, and I've been lucky to have mostly really good folks um, that I've worked with, but if I'm going into a particular conversation, I find myself uh, praying more, trying to get myself out of the way more, mm. um, trying to um, listen to what's really happening more. Um, and what I find is I don't think the conversation has necessarily gone all that well, yeah. but I find out later it was exactly the mm. way it needed to go. Mm. Um, and so, um, yes, I, 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 I think you can, you can see past the person to what's really happening um, if you're attuned to the Spirit of God. Mm. 
Now, how do you, uh, um, you know, Scott, I'm, I've always been impressed with your uh, skill set, wisdom, so many things. How, how does a guy start a couple of billion dollar companies and stay humble through all this? Because <laughs> you strike me as a humble person, a self-aware person, but obviously very competent. Uh, how do you do that? How do you stay, at, be a CEO for that many years and keep your feet on the ground? Yeah, so um, lots of failure keeps you <laughs> keeps you humble. Humble. Uh, lots of difficult circumstance keeps mm. you humble, and uh, I'm just one of those guys. I always see what I've done wrong as opposed to what I've done right. So maybe mm. that's a little bit of uh, the personality. But um, I, I think what I've come to realize is just how dependent we are upon certainly the Spirit of God, but also just the teams that are around us. Hmm. And I've just come to see, um, as a guy who, again, introvert, tend to be a lone ranger, that when you um, invite people in and you just see their strengths at play, um, it tends to make you a whole lot more humble about your personal contributions, a whole lot more humble about your skill set, um, and you just you start to value what all these other people can bring along with them. Hmm. And um, it, it causes your focus to be more outward in terms of what they can contribute and what their needs are and how you can serve. Hmm. So I, I wouldn't say I've always been successful at that, uh, but I think later in life I've begun to see the value in teams and the strength in teams hmm. and how many people contribute in so many wonderful ways. Hmm. And I've just, I've been blessed to be able to work with some talented uh, business executives like you and others. And, and I've, I've, uh, I've come to learn that uh, even if you are at the top of the org chart and making a good salary and have a good life, there's still pains and hardships. Just because you see the CEO walking through and has the, you know, the, the preferred parking spot or whatever, doesn't mean that they don't bleed like everybody else and and I've just yet to meet someone that doesn't have heartache. And the life itself can just kind of keep you humble as well. That's right. <laughs> Certainly true for me. Yeah. I, well, now we, you talk about hardships. Uh, and I, I, I keep hoping that COVID is, is uh, in our rearview mirror. I keep hearing of friends and, and family that have it again. But, uh, but still, I think the, the, the massive worldwide shutdown and quarantining and so on, the supply chain issues, all those kind of things. Hopefully, we're well behind, or well beyond that now. But uh, but I, you know, I, I think that's, be, and I think that will be a case study for years to come in, in uh, business schools and leadership training. Uh, when you get sort of sideswiped by a massive, uh, interruptive, disruptive thing that was never taught in business school, how to deal with that. Uh, you you led a large uh, staff. How many how many employees would be under your watch? Uh, thirteen thousand. Thirteen thousand. Okay, so you're leading thirteen thousand employees through COVID, and you're in the medical field where there's some essential services. You can't just not work, but but you had to work differently in a lot of ways. What give us an example of some of the challenges you faced during that time, and then what you learned about leading in crisis. Yeah, so I don't know that I could ever properly properly describe what COVID and healthcare was like, mm. uh, what that time period was like. So a, a lot of businesses shut down and people went home and people lost jobs in the process, which was devastating and difficult in and of itself. But in healthcare, it ramped up 
to a, a level of chaos and difficulty that have never experienced in 40 years. Mm. Um, you know, we, we certainly knew how hospitals were overrun, and we were a part of those teams, so we were also overrun. Um, I would say uh, we worked 20 hours a day for maybe two years um, wow. trying to get our arms around it. People were exhausted. People working seven days a week. Um, you know, the, the supply chain issues that we all experienced as consumers in healthcare were even more extreme. So getting access to masks and gowns and gloves, things that were needed to keep our people safe, um, nearly impossible. I mean, we were literally uh, in parking lots with wads of cash buying those things, wow. Um, wow. just trying to fill it in. Our teams would drive five hours overnight. If we had more at one facility than another, our teams would drive and meet halfway um, mm. in the night. Um, trying to just keep our people safe. Mm. Um, on a related note, people were afraid to come into work, and very understandably so. Yeah, I was going to say the fear level must have been off the charts off. there. It was so much uncertainty. and Yeah. I mean, we the, the second COVID patient in the United States was in one of our facilities, and someone had to go in and clean that person's room. Mm. And this was when COVID, you know, we knew what it was happening worldwide. We'd seen how devastating the impact was worldwide. We just hadn't had it in the States yet. And, you know, one of our managers and God bless her just took charge and said, I'm not going to ask my people to do something I'm not willing to do. And she wow. gowned up and went in and cleaned the room. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people didn't want to do that because um, if you did that, you couldn't be around your family for the next two weeks. And mm -hmm. we had to do that every day. Um, mm -hmm. So some people didn't see their family for months um, wow. at a time. Wow. And we had to find housing for them. Uh, but finding new people to replace the people that didn't want to work in that environment, you know, who wanted to go work in the midst of COVID. Yeah. Um, and so that was difficult. Wow. Um, so it, it just became an increasingly difficult environment and certain about half our people got COVID and they were out. And so now the people were not only doing double time, they were doing triple time and more. Mm. Um, so it was just very difficult to keep people I'm sure in that together. field, the, the government must've had all kinds of standards telling you how you had to do your business that whether they'd ever actually led a healthcare business <laughs> themselves or not, they had new rules for what you had to do. Changed almost every day. And so in, in a clinical environment, you change a rule. You have to change uh, your standard operating procedures. You have to train people on that rule. Then you have to be there while they're implementing to make sure they're doing it properly and safely. And then the next day, the rule changes all over again, and, wow. and you're starting it. It was, it was insane. Mm -hmm. um, but to lead through that, we did a couple of things. Um, number one, we, we um, turned our organization over to our subject matter experts, um, and our entire cause for business was to serve the people on the front line. Uh, we mm. were already pretty focused and pointed at the front line, but now everything was about when someone had walked into a patient or uh, a resident's room, um, what did that person need? Did they have the right equipment, the supplies, the training? Um, did they have the fortitude to walk into that room um, mm. in that kind of environment? Um, and so uh, every, every person in the organization was there to support um, the front line. Um, so that changed. And then additionally, we were spread out all over the place and not able to meet in person. So we had to ramp up communication. We were very uh, detailed in terms of what our purpose was just to keep people aware of the larger picture. When you're surviving through chaos, sometimes the details just become overwhelming. So we mm. had to constantly take a step back remind ourselves why we were there, what we were there to do. 
how we were meant to serve um, and just kind of constant communication. Wow. So, yeah. So what, so what did you, what did you learn? If you were to say now, like I've le- I've realized leading in crisis, here's, here's a couple things you, you just need to have in place if you're going to do that successfully. Yeah. Well, it starts with hopefully you have a great team before going into that crisis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but then it's hard to do catch up in that context. It, it really is. Um, and, um, we were very blessed to have a wonderful team, um, not only highly competent and skilled people, but people who cared deeply about their fellow humans and wanted to serve them in this incredibly difficult time. Mm. Um, but it was kind of constantly filling up those leaders so they could constantly fill up their front lines. Mm. Um, you need to have strong subject matter experts. And, and for us, that mean, means clinical. For other people, that will mean other things. So that when the crisis comes, you have people you can turn to to say, what do we need to do in this environment today? You know, what do the next three hours look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get through those three hours and, you know, what do the next three hours look like? Um, and it, it becomes a very detailed, tactical kind of environment when you're, you're leading through mm. difficulty. And how did you keep unity on your team? Because I, I know churches of 100 that divided deeply over so many different issues. You know, how, your, your leadership team, I mean, and I know at a certain point you had to furlough some folks. And those are really, you, you had some really tough decisions that, I mean, could literally be life and death for people. That's right. How did you keep was your team pretty unified or how did you how did you help them not all just be sitting there arguing around the boardroom table all the time well one of our um key uh cultural values is unity um Mm. and we had been talking about that for the five years leading up to covid so um people had already practiced and behaved what what does unity look like Mm. um and so we had to constantly go back and remind people that was a goal Mm. and what was just and this is because I have a great team, um, no credit to me, it's just everyone just pulled together. Mm. Every, everyone supported each other, and I didn't need to ask them to do that. They just did that. Mm. But I think that was five years leading up to the crisis of making sure we understood what our values were and, and who we were. Mm. Going into- so the key is if you're going to successfully uh, endure or go through a crisis is five years before that, <laughs> be preparing. <laughs> There's always a crisis. So. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, if you, pretty well, if you, if you prepare now, five years from now, you can take it to the bank. That's um, right. Well, you know, the, the American culture in general is changing so much. And I know, like, when you and I began leading, there's issues now that w- we wouldn't have even imagined that would have been a, a problem. And especially working with people, you've got 13,000 employees, you've, got the, you've covered the whole gamut of worldviews and values and uh and and communication styles uh as you look at some of the things changing now in the way you know the kind of where you're getting your workers today they the the schools they're going to the indoctrination that they're they may be getting uh and now they come work for you after being their minds filled with thoughts on how leaders should treat people and what what rights people have uh, what do you see as some of the challenges for leaders going forward? Uh, and, and to say, if you're going to lead successfully in the future, here's some things you're going to have to be good at doing as a leader. Yeah. So one of the things we often say when some uh, cultural crisis or some cultural fad comes up is we address it very openly. Mm-hmm. And if it's a crisis, we'll um, 
um, get people set up with our employee assistance program. Um, we're, we're, we also have a foundation that we've built that will kick in and help people through difficult times. And we don't shy away from those. Um, and I'll very often put out communication about that particular event or particular happening and uh, just remind people who we are. But I mean, if you go back millennia, people were divided and things mm -hmm. were happening and there's always something happening out there, right? There's always yeah. a cultural change out there. Um, but what we always say, no matter what's happening out there is we can't control that, but we can control in here. Yeah. Um, and so we focus very deeply on what our culture is inside. Hmm. And it may sound like a cliche, but it has helped us through a lot of difficult times is let's be what you would hope the rest of the world would be. Let's yeah. be that in here. Hmm. Um, and constant restatement of what our values are, constant restatement of what our culture is. Um, and so we don't ignore what's out there um, because, you know, people are dealing with that when they go home. But we also say, while we're in here, this is what we're here to do. This is why we're here to do it. This is how we do it. And part of that is a culture that's loving and compassionate and supportive. Hmm. Um, and um, we just constantly state that over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think I just see a lot of organizations that get hijacked by stuff that doesn't really matter to their, their purpose. You know, That's I, right. Whether you're Democrat, Republican, it doesn't really matter when you're in healthcare. You know, I don't care what party you voted for. <laughs> if if I need a transfusion or something, I just want you to just do it efficiently and helpfully. Right. But boy, I tell you, you know, you you assume sometimes your culture is one thing, and we saw this a lot in churches as well. Churches thought, if you'd ask them, what what's your church like? Oh, we're a very loving group, and we we just love Jesus and. And then COVID came and half of them were anti-vax and half were pro-vax and, and they're losing members right and left. And the pastors are bewildered to say, well, I thought our culture was very unified and loving and gracious. And then, then I saw things happening that like, I just could never have imagined would have been taking place. And, and for you to lead a company of that size, uh, culture could be everything. I mean, uh, culture, like they say, can, was it, who was it who said culture could eat strategy oh, every day? Yeah. You know, it's like, um, just, and, and yet I, you can take uh, culture for granted too. You know, That's I, right. I, a lot of people could say, well, yeah, our culture is we value unity, but, but then as soon as something divisive comes along, the, it's not nearly as unified as they thought it was. Um, any, any tips on, I mean, how to truly affect culture and maybe how to measure culture. I mean, cause you, you can say your culture is one thing, but then, you know, the crisis comes and it kind of reveals what your culture really is. That's right. Well, again, I, I think uh, you do a couple of things. First of all, you're very clear in what your culture is. So just before here, I spoke with 60 of our new managers. I speak to every new manager or supervisor in our business. I spoke to them for an hour and 15 minutes and probably 45 minutes of that was about our culture. Hmm. And I let them know you are new ambassadors of our culture. So you need to know what culture you've come into. And we hope you make our culture better. We hope you help evolve our culture. Hmm. But you need to start by knowing the culture of the organization that you've come into. Um, and then I think for leaders specifically, it's storytelling around that culture. It's mm -hmm. uh, recognition and celebration around that culture. But I think a leader also needs to be 
in the business enough to read what's happening within the culture. Mm. And I've, I've come to see there's almost a soul of an organization. Um, mm. And you don't pick up on what that soul is unless you're watching people do what they do and deeply listening to people. Mm. Um, so just as one example of that, um, we talked about how hard COVID was. Post-COVID has also been difficult because our customers lost millions and in some cases billions of dollars. So it's become all about cost cutting. Mm. And we got through COVID, we got through that. And just through talking to people, I kind of got a sense that they were in survival mode. Um, and, you know, survival mode is necessary sometimes. And yeah. post-survival is the deep breath, and that's also healthy. But I could just see the psyche of the organization was, ah, we survived. Hmm. Um, you're not growing when you're in survival mode. Yeah. You're just getting by. <clears throat> yeah. And so uh, about a year ago, was talking to people and just sensed that's where we were. And so I, I said, you know, we're, we're playing defense right now. Mm -hmm. um, we want to get back on offense and painted a very bold vision for what we wanted to accomplish in the next year. And we just a month ago had the follow-up meeting to that year past. Mm. And we just transformed as an organization. Really? I mean, yeah. not even just incrementally grew. I mean, and I'm not talking about dollars. I'm talking about... Um, growing as individuals and growing as a company. And um, it was remarkable what we've accomplished. Mm. Uh, but all of that started with just talking to people and realizing where their head was. Mm. And, um, you know, every, pe people want to win. People want to be doing big, bold things. And so it was fun to, a year later, say, look, mm. look at what you did. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because I know you're right. If you survive something, you want to just you want to coast now for a while. Yes. You want to rest. And yeah. you do have to catch your breath. Um, but, yeah, you can end up coasting for the next five years. That's right. And drifting uh, instead of moving forward toward a goal. And um, I think that's uh, obviously wise leadership. Scott, just we kind of wrap up, You, we have a lot of leaders who listen to this uh, podcast. And just just ran, random, uh, any, any lessons that you've learned or if you just had some young leaders sitting around the table saying, Scott, any advice for us as up-and-coming leaders? Um, what, would you, what would you advise them about? Yeah, so um, I think uh, the focus on people. Um, I share one slide with all these new managers, and I, you know, I say I'm here talking to you for more than an hour, but I could just share this one slide, and you're getting 95% of mm. what I'm talking about, which is to build the team around you, you got to make sure you got the right person in the right job at the right time with the right culture. Hmm. Um, and if you do all those things, remarkable things happen. Um, hmm. But, you know, you can have the wrong person in any job, the right person in the wrong job. You could have a person who's not yet ready for a job, um, hmm. and they're not going to be successful. But if you get the right person in the right job, surround them with love and respect and dignity. If you train them, encourage them, inspire them, develop them, promote them, just miracles happen. And huh. I don't say that. And a cliche, I mean, miracles happen in mm. terms of what people will do on their own because they're fully engaged, you know, with their whole being. They're fully engaged. And it's just remarkable to me. I, mm. I just very often look and go, how did that happen? You know, how mm. did you do that? Um, wow. and because you've got great people doing great things in the right job. Mm. Yeah. You know, we when we had wrote our book on leadership, we we said it's moving people. We said it's not moving organizations. I mean... You, you move people, and if you ever lose sight of that, it's about people. 
there's leaders who love to put together PowerPoints and vision statements, mission statements, but but just relating, inspiring people. That's right. Uh, to, to to face a crisis to, together and uh, to to trust the leadership. Uh, that that takes people skills and people focus, and I think sometimes we forget that. And uh, that's right. Great great word. Well, Scott, I knew that you would have much to uh, to say, much to offer. We're going to have. Uh, uh, links to his uh, many books he's written and uh, various uh, things that you where you can hear him and uh, and learn from him in the show notes. But Scott, always a pleasure to be with you and and uh, you are one of those people. Just even as you close, that uh, remind me why it's it can be a real privilege to lead when you see those miracles take place in people's lives that you get to lead. That it is. Thanks for having me. Great to be back. Oh, thank you. Yeah, come again. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.